Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. I want to teach on walking in the glory of God. What did I call it? Just in case you don't already know, the theme for this camp meeting is Solideo Gloria, which is a Latin expression that means for his glory alone. And we started yesterday night by explaining and expounding the glory of God in the gospel. And then this morning we shared on the glory of God and prayer. And this afternoon we shared on glorifying God in your mortal bodies. And tonight we're sharing on walking in the glory God. All right, so how do you walk in the glory of God? For the sake of time, I'm going to share just two steps with you or just two tips with you. The first is hunger. And this is the paradox of salvation. How that when we find God, we begin to seek him even harder. As the day hungers or thirsts for the water brooks, so my soul longs after you. It's the paradox of the Christian devotion. We have found him and so we seek him daily. Because it's almost like Yes, our cup runs over, but there is still so much to receive from him. So much to enjoy in him. And it's a vital sign that you stay hungry and you stay thirsty. Because guess what? It is only those who are hungry and are thirsty that will continue to encounter God in this way. Hallelujah. Let me tell you this. What do I mean by hunger? I simply mean you must continue to have a fervent appreciation for the things of God. It's a law. A fervent appreciation for the things of God, for the glory of God. You must. If the glorious holiness of God refers, like we defined yesterday, to his separation from what is common then don't treat it like it's common. This is so important. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6? He said, give not that which is holy to dogs. The things that are holy must be treated as sacred. It's a principle. Give not that which is holy to dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn again and rend you. So because the things of God are so special, there is an attitude, there is a disposition, an alignment of the heart that is necessary. It's a necessary prerequisite. And this is something that you must understand. Develop it consciously. Please, are you listening to me? 
develop an appreciation for the things of the Spirit. In John 7, 37, the Bible says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice. He said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Here is the shocking thing. God never promised that he will help you get thirsty. God doesn't offer thirst. He offers satisfaction. You have to be thirsty first. Then you come to him to drink. He doesn't make you thirsty. It's not his job. His job is to give you the satisfaction. You must come thirsty. That's your job. Don't forget in Matthew chapter 5, again Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's not God's job to make you hunger and thirst. You must be hungry and thirsty. You must come hungry and thirsty. God never offers thirst. He offers satisfaction. And the reason is this. Man in his natural state, in his factory setting, original factory setting, is hungry. If you see anybody who has a disinclination to the things of God, he has done something to himself. There is something the Bible calls hardness of heart. You can do it to yourself. Either consciously or unconsciously. Because we are born with an interest, a natural interest for the things of God. This law is so powerful that Paul made an argument that even people who never heard the gospel are still without excuse. He says, because the invisible things of God are clearly seen in the things that he has created. Such that we are without excuse. So even if you have not heard the gospel, he says there is enough witness. You know what the Bible says? It says the creation of God shows the glory of God. Day unto day, uttereth speech. Night unto night shows knowledge. No one might have preached to you, but the creation of God is witness to you. Are you listening to this? And so, he makes a conclusion. He says, even if they knew God, he's talking to people who were never preached to. Even if they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. And they went about, you know, giving themselves to vile affections. So God gave them up to a reprobate mind. Because even a man who has never heard the gospel preached in his natural default state is looking for God. That's why the guys in Acts 17 are so fascinating. The Greeks in Athens, these guys, they did not know the gospel. But they knew they have to be, there has to be a God out there. They didn't know his name. So they put an inscription, the unknown God. We are waiting to know his name, but we know there's a God out there. And so we will carry out our devotion in the best way we know how to. And in a normal situation, when the gospel encounters you, this should be how it will play out. So you have been serving God the way you know how to. Just like Cornelius, I will give you examples. And then Paul says, whom you ignorantly worship, declare I unto you. The days of ignorance, God has winked that. So the reason why you were offering sacrifices in Calabash is because you didn't know better. You didn't know that God, who sustains the universe, you can't, he can't depend on you for his next meal. You didn't know that. In him we live and move and have our being. How do you think you can offer him food or build him a temple? 
He said, even your poets said we are, we are his offspring. So if we are his offspring, he looks like us. Why do you think that God is made of gold or silver or any of your idols? He came from his common sense, logical standpoint, explained to them the gospel, and he says, the days of ignorance, God has winged that. I wish I had enough time to explain this. There's a lot to talk about this, you know, when it comes to answering the question, what happens to people who have never heard the gospel? Now, I said all of that to say this. Even for people who never heard the gospel, they had hunger. And there was a desire to serve God the way they knew how to. Come on, are you with me? This is so important. So I'll give you three examples. And let me tell you something that you will see. Do you know that God never encountered anybody that was not first looking for him? It's a law. I know we explained yesterday that God the Father dwells in unapproachable light and you can only have a relationship with him if he approaches you. But here is the interesting thing. He must find you looking. He must find you hungry. He must find you thirsty. So see the examples of the people who encountered God in the Bible. It turns out they were already looking. And the funny thing is, sometimes... We focus on the wrong things when we are reading these stories. Like the Samaritan woman, what jumps at us first is that she had five husbands. Which is the most inconsequential aspect of the story. Think about it. This Jesus that was commending himself to everyone as the Messiah, and many of them did not know him, did not believe him, he met a woman who had a theological question. The moment Jesus gave a word of knowledge, and pointed out how many husbands she had. The next thing, she said, I know you are a prophet. She didn't say, bless my business. She didn't say, pray for me. I need a healing in my elbow. The next thing is, she had been looking for someone to explain the scriptures to her. Think about that. That's hunger. So she had this theological question in her heart for God knows how long. She was looking for someone who knew God who could teach her. She said, oh, you're a prophet. Tell me this. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say Jerusalem is the place to worship. Where is the place to worship? She wanted to learn. This same Jesus that will preach to many people and they were looking for how to gainsay what he was saying. Someone else had a question. Think about this. How many other people in the entire Bible in Jesus' earthly ministry had a question that sensible for Jesus? How many? If you look at it objectively, it's as if that woman was more studious than Nicodemus. <laughs> you don't know who that woman was. You just think of her marital failures. And that's how many of us judge people today. We can't see past their errors. This woman was a solid woman. So Jesus explained, he said, actually, you guys, you know not whom you worship because salvation is from the Jews. Nevertheless, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, when, she, when he, Jesus was done, she said, well, you have a point, but I know the Messiah is coming. <sighs> not everybody was looking for the Messiah. See, when she was talking, she didn't know who she was talking to. So it was just out of the sincere hunger of her heart. So 
That means that woman went about every day waiting for the Messiah. For her to say it to a stranger, I know the Messiah is coming, it means she was looking for him. Wow, what a woman. From her hunger, you can now understand why Jesus sat on the well to wait for her. He knew that she was looking for him. That's why he sat there. There was something about her hunger. Can I tell you something? It's a law. You can be in this room at that corner, but your hunger for the things of God, see, the spirit realm will respond to hunger. You are Cornelius. Nobody has preached to you, but you are just serving God the way you know how to. You don't even understand the gospel yet. Yet you are giving alms. You are praying regularly. You know, you are a pious man. Ah, Peter would dream. I'm telling you, this is a powerful principle. Peter will dream. Have you noticed why in some meetings, there are some people they must call out. They must pray for. I'm telling you some of the secrets. There are, in, there are secret negotiations. <laughs> secret desires. Where Jesus meets you for the first time and says, I saw you under the fig tree. Are you listening to me? God was so determined to reach out to Cornelius that he will not allow Peter's wrong understanding of theology to stand in the way. He will show him a trance three times. And then sent an angel to Cornelius. Gave him a specific word. Gave him Peter's name. Gave him Peter's address. Gave him his hometown. Paul of, um, um, Peter, Peter, Peter of what? Tarsus, right? Gave him the exact location. So by the time he woke up, no, that's Paul. I beg your pardon. But gave him his exact location. And by the time he woke up, they were already at his door. By the time he finished dreaming, people from Cornelius' house were already at his door. And he says, there are men waiting for you. Follow them, doubting nothing. Why is it that some people just attract the heavens with such ease that while Peter is yet speaking, the Holy Ghost falls? Why? This is the secret. Hunger. What about the Ethiopian eunuch? Let me tell you something. God is eager to reach out to the world. And then now you are a man of means, a man of influence. You are on a chariot going to your country. And you are interested in God. You are looking for God. Ah, listen. And this is also the secret of the miraculous. You, you have been praying that, ah, you, when you read that Philip was teleporting, you are praying, ah, God, it would be nice. So instead of playing pain, um, flight fair. If I can just close my eye like this, Canada straight, it would be nice. Oh. But you have to understand there is a hunger, a sincerity of a man reading Esaias and wondering who is this talking about. There is this curiosity that will necessitate that miracle. Are you listening to me? God had to, I mean, <laughs> command Philip, be joined to this chariot immediately. What do these three people have in common? Cornelius, that woman, the Ethiopian eunuch, they were searching. 
Hallelujah. Are you awake at all? Are you being blessed by this? What I'm telling you is, is a very important principle. <laughs> Hunger and thirst. So here is how it applies to you. Never treat anything of God as common. See, this law is so simple but so powerful. This law. Never treat anything. It was the secret of Abraham. If Abraham saw anybody who was a man of God, this was a man who was great himself. He will pursue the person. He will make sure he honors the person. Just have this general appreciation for the things of God. When it is time to pray, pray. When someone, have you seen people? They, they, don't, they have no appreciation for the sacred. You can be praying like this. That's when they want to talk to you. Hey, guy, how far? How about that thing you promised me? Can't you see I'm praying? Can't you allow the person finish? See, I told you, Kavod, Hebrew word for glory, yesterday means what? Respect, right? See, you have to start by showing respect. You have to start by showing respect. Sometimes, you know, when you hear someone pray, you know, just pray along or something. All right? Or when someone, just, just learn to respond well. When someone says hallelujah, say hallelujah. You know, learn to respond. This is very important. Ha, ha, ha. Let me tell you this. The things of the spirit are not mathematics. In mathematics, Two plus two equals four, anywhere in the world, and no matter the mood of the person calculating it. But not the things of the spirit. This, in the things of the spirit, how you do what you do is as important as what you are doing. The Bible says, with joy shall you draw water out of the... It doesn't matter how sophisticated your pulley is. Without joy, it won't work. Did you hear what I said? There is how to draw. These are the laws. There is how to give. God loves a cheerful giver. I wish I had enough time to teach on this. Listen, this is one text that mesmerizes grace preachers. They can't understand. God loves. Doesn't God love us? <laughs> Irrespective. I wish I had enough time to talk on that. But it's there. And you cannot tell Paul that he doesn't have enough revelation of grace. He says, God loves. There is a way to give. There is a way to pray. It has to be heartfelt, continued. So don't just be mechanical. Do it with your heart. See, even in prayer, put your heart in it. In giving, put your heart in it. In honor, put your heart in it. That's how the things of God thrives. Do you know what it means that God will say to a people, you draw nigh to me with your lips, but your heart is far away. It means God doesn't just take what you say. Your heart and your lips must align. You might bow your head, bow your knees, but it's your heart bowed. 
God is checking. Start developing interests. You build the culture. Build the culture of, of honor for the things of the spirits. Ah. And some of these things, you knew it when you were younger, but now you are a bros. Do you remember the time you dare not wake up and just come down from your bed without praying? But now, Grace, Abby, those days, before you touch your phone, your knee will touch the ground. You will thank God. Remember the time you will always pray before eating? What happened to those days? Honor. Hunger. Thirst. I mean, what was your expectation when you came for a meeting like this? What was the position of your heart? Did you, did you, see, it matters. Don't forget, it says, he that is thirsty. Those are the people for whom the invitation is for. He that is thirsty, come to me and drink. You have to be thirsty. Come on, I said, you have to be thirsty. Hallelujah. Come on, I said, hallelujah. Men of hunger and thirst will always supersede other people in terms of importance in the plan of God. Always. When you're reading the book of Hebrews, all the names there, you know, it's just the same way we go to the um, score sheet when exam result comes and there are names you expect. Okay, this one had A. This one, there are some names you see, you say, eh? Hey, this guy had A. Has it happened to you before? Don't lie. You might never tell the person, but you were surprised. Hallelujah. I mean, you have that experience when you're reading Hebrews 11. You're reading Abraham, yeah, sure guy. Isaac, mm. Jacob, mm. the prophets. Then you see Rahab. Let me tell you something. God is big on morals. I, listen, I taught on that this afternoon. That's what I taught on. You can't claim to love the Lord and tolerate inconsistencies in your life. But in the realm of the spirit, there are things that seem to supersede that. The Samaritan woman is an example. Rahab is another example. I mean, just think about this. So how did Rahab find her name in Hebrews 11? Very simple. The story is in Joshua 2. She heard of how God parted the Red Sea for Moses and the Israelites to pass. From the day she heard it, she said, that must be the God of the universe. That was all. The God that did that must be the God of the universe. Nobody had preached, her, preached to her. I wish I had enough time to talk a bit on soteriology, you know, salvation. How much information must you have to be saved is, is a question. Tough question, but very interesting. So she didn't understand the deep things of soteriology, the promise of the incarnation. She didn't understand all those deep mysteries. 
But she just said, you mean this guy, by the backing of God, stretched his hand at the ocean and it parted? And they walked through for this? Ah. <laughs> so the moment they saw Jews... Now, some of you, let me quickly explain this in passing. It was the same thing that happened in the time of Jonah. Some of you can't explain how Jonah, without performing a single miracle, this was a prophet that didn't perform a single miracle, he had the highest evangelical success rate. No other prophet preached to a whole city and everybody converted. What was the secret? How could he just tell them, listen, and he didn't even talk about the love of God. He didn't say, see what you are doing is wrong. He just said, not many days from now, this city will be overturned. And listen, not only the people, even animals fasted. Can I tell you what happened? According to historians, they had heard about Pharaoh's stubbornness and what God did to Pharaoh and how God parted the Red Sea. So imagine you are a citizen in Nineveh and you see a Jew. <laughs> Another Jewish prophet comes to you and said, God said, ah. <laughs> the king said, if anybody should eat tomorrow, eh? If I catch you, he said, everybody should fast. Even animals, don't feed your dog. <laughs> it was, they fasted, they all repented. But you see, the king of Jericho was still arrogant. When he heard that Jewish spies were in Jericho, he quickly sent a message to Rahab, bring them to me. And instead of Rahab surrendering them, she hid them. She hid them. And after, you know, she, I mean, the king thought they had run away. This is what ensued. I, want, I, I don't want to read it verbatim I, I, from my heart. I want to read it to you. Joshua chapter 2. Thank me. This is probably the first time you're reading the book of Joshua this year. I hope not. Are you in Joshua chapter 2? You still remember the part of the Bible where it is? Hallelujah. Look at verse 9. This touched me. Verse 8, just so that you understand the flow of thoughts. He says, now before they lay down, before they were going, you know, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Hey, see faith, see honor. I know. Think about it. No war had started, no chant had said they had not gone around the city. She just said, you know what? I know. Think about this. I know that God has given you the land. That the terror of you has fallen on us. And that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. We have heard. May the Lord work a testimony in you that will go viral. Yeah. Say loud, amen. Yeah. We have heard. And what 
you did to the kings of the Amorites <laughs> who were on the other side of the Jordan, Shion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven. Is that a declaration of faith or not? For the Lord your God is what? Above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. What a faith. You know, do you know what it means? Have you read up on Jericho? The walls of Jericho were so fortified that six chariots could ride on the fence side by side without touching each other. It was a, the top of the fence was a six-lane road. That was how thick it was. You know, someone else would have said, well, nice work with Red Sea, but have you seen our technology? This wall, make not forget. <laughs> this is not Egypt, though. Welcome to Jericho. <laughs> we are fortified. But this woman said, see, it's already done. I know God has given you this land because the Lord your God is God in heaven. Honor for spiritual things. Her family was the only family that survived. Come on, are you getting this? Listen, this is so important. And then the second point I want to share with you on walking in the glory of God, I think it's the greatest secret of my life. You know, I've said this time and again, some people desire by covetousness what I got by consecration. And this is the greatest secret. Let me tell you this. The church likes to overemphasize principles. If you want this, do this. If you want that, do this. And thank God for principles. But a good Bible student will know that those principles don't always add up. Can I be honest with you? When you are reading the miracles that God wrought for the children of Israel, how much faith did they have? How much faith did they have? Look at those guys, very bitter, very unwilling. See how God, how far God had to go. Do you know what it means that a prophet in your front, oh, you didn't read about it. See, Rahab heard it and believed. This one happened in your front. Pointed at an ocean and it divided. You walked through it for days. Pharaoh was trying to pursue you. It covered him, drowned him. Then you get to the other side. You are thirsty and you start murmuring. You must be mad. <laughs> Those people were mad. Is it those children, children of Israel? Ha! But guess what? They were still seeing miracles. Strange miracles. See, bread, their daily sustenance fell from heaven for days, 
every day. You just go out, you will see food, you pack. Eh? Despite that, they still disobeyed. God said, on the sixth day, enough manna for two days will fall. So don't go out on the seventh day. None will fall. Some still went out. It's as if they were saying, oh, how do we annoy God today? You know? It's like they were looking for new ways. So, God kept asking, what else do I have to do to prove to you? Why are you so unpersuadable? Yet they kept seeing miracles. Have you noticed, it seems like some people, it's, it's like an auto sale for them. Auto sale. Auto sale. That's why there are some arguments in the body of Christ. Some say eh, swing and ripping. Some say it doesn't work. Some have said it works. Let me tell you this. Because the body of Christ has, le- has not learned to differentiate a miracle from a principle. Hey. Listen to me. By Jesus' own admission, he said there were many widows in the time of Esaias. But to no other widow was the prophet sent than the widow in Serapta. Think about that. That means if someone else, some other widow had read a book on sowing and reaping, giving her last meal, she would have died. (laughs) Should I talk or I should continue? (laughs) Jesus himself said, and that's why some people don't understand. You see, some will say, it works, it works. I did it, it worked. Some others will say, ah, this person said, see, hear that testimony. Pack his money, drop it. (laughs) (laughs) One of our pastors saw someone. He had not been to church in one year. He was angry. He (laughs) He went for a conference. So he heard one staring sermon. Give and see what God will do. So wait now. He didn't have a car. So he went home and persuaded his parents. Bring your car. Just do and see what God will do. So I, <laughs> no show. The trek. <laughs> he was now angry with God. Let me tell you something. And some other people fall to the other extreme. They say it's all a scam. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter whether it's a principle or not, a doctrine or not. If God tells you, give this, you better do it. (laughs) If you don't do it. So what I'm trying to describe are... Within the scope of the word of God, the doctrines of God, there are the personal dealings of God. Let me tell you this. Since we are talking about the glory of God, you need to know who God is. You need to understand, God is (laughs) God-centered. God is God-centered. We live in an age where our sense of importance is exaggerated. Because every day, Facebook is asking you, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? You now feel your opinion is so important. You know, sometimes you observe people's devotion. 
it's hard to tell who is the God. Because every day sending God message, sending, do, do you, you know, it's all about your plans, your desires. You are so religious yet so selfish. God bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. I want to travel. I want a new car. I want it. You know, have you even stopped to say, God, what is your plan for my life? Let me tell you something. The biggest principle of the miraculous is consecration. <laughs> the biggest principle of the miraculous is consecration. Can I tell you something? You know why the children of Israel saw miracles? Because they were relevant to God's plan. God had chosen them by grace to be the lineage through which the Christ will come. For that reason, eh, their faith, as important as the principle of faith is, purpose is greater than faith. Ah! You might not have heard this before, but I'm saying purpose, I said what I said. See, when you are in line with God's purpose for your life, even your errors will be overridden. I gave this example earlier this year. You know, according to the principles of faith, they say if you say to this mountain and you don't doubt in your heart, you shall have what you say, Abby. So doubt is so devastating. It can mess up what you're trying to do in the realm of the spirit. But guess what? When God told Abraham, you will have a child this time next year, Sarah laughed. And instead of God saying, ah, no more child, he said the child will be called laughter. Are you listening? The doubt became part of the testimony. This, God was saying, this child, you will have it. So you just wonder, some people are obeying all the rules, ticking all the boxes, all the ordinances, the fasting, the devotion, and some people, it's as if the grace is just carrying them. I'm telling you how. I'm telling you how. You don't understand what is called the election of grace. You are asking Mary, how did you carry this baby? Share the principle. <laughs> how do you want to do <laughs> Some things are tailor-made. The miracles, the greatest miracles of God on your life are on the lane of purpose. When you find God's assignment, let me tell you something. And that's, I want to say this respectfully. Our ministry has seen so much grace. And... <laughs> I got carried away for a bit. You know, there were some other ministers I was trying to say, do this, do that, if you do it this way. So a man of God sat me down and said, sir, <laughs> you don't understand. You know, when they're saying, do this, the reason it comes naturally to you is grace. Oh. He said, your boldness is part of your gift. <laughs> Your boldness is part of your gift. The fact that God will say, go, and I just... If God says, <laughs> I'm there. Oh. Alignment makes it easy. Are you getting what I'm saying? Let me show you something. Let's start from where we stopped yesterday. Oh, dear Lord Jesus. Please, I hope you get this. I hope you get this. If you get this, your life will not be the same again. Did you hear what I said? So yesterday we read Exodus 33, 18. You remember? In Exodus 33, 18, 
Moses said to God, show me your glory. And see how God responded. Verse 19. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. <laughs> Two very important lessons here. It just tells you that God is God-centered. In his glory is the revelation of the fact that you can't beat him if he does not bless you. There is something I'm going to teach. My view on soteriology has changed. You know, some people, you know, there is something people call, let me use a simple term that you all know, atonement. Do you know it's not exactly accurate? So when you talk about the merciful justice of God, how did I enter this? God. <laughs> when you talk about the merciful justice of God, people say God is just, but God is merciful. So because he is just, he couldn't just have mercy. So he had to make his son die so that he can have mercy. It's not correct. I will explain. He says, I will have mercy on whom I have compassion. He says, so then it is not of he that wills, nor of he that runs, but of what? So let me tell you what is wrong with that. So in salvation, you see the mercy of God, yes or yes? But do you know that when you come from the analogy of atonement, you don't see mercy there? You see vindication, not mercy. So, let me explain this to you. If I give you my phone, I say, hold this for me. And I come back and I see the screen broken. What did you do? And you said, ah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I say, no, I'm not going to hear sorry. Bring your own phone. And I take your own phone and I break the phone to the extent that it begins to look like my own phone. Right? And I say, ah, yes, now it's been paid for. Some people, that's what they think God, that's what God did in salvation. But it's not true. Let me tell you this. The fact that God said Jesus can die for you is not the system of justice. Who made the rule? <laughs> Are you getting what I'm saying? It was part of his mercy. It was part of his mercy. It's not as if there was any justice rule that he had to adhere to to be fair. Are you getting this? So it was part of his mercy. Okay, even if Jesus died, what connects you to Jesus? How can you be a beneficiary of Jesus' sacrifice if not by the mercy of God? At least the first Adam, you belong to his biological lineage. So when death entered his body, he could only give birth to dead children. But the second Adam, how can the death, burial, and resurrection of someone benefit you? It's by mercy. That's what the writer of Hebrews said. He said that by the grace of God, he should taste death, death for all men. It was by the grace of God, not justice. It's very important to understand 
God. He is just, but if he wasn't, they are beating him now. Hallelujah. Who we ask him, what, what doest thou? <laughs> are you getting this? And so, I said the first thing is, you have to understand God is God-centered. Number two, you have to understand that the priority of God is his salvation plan. So when Moses said, show me your glory, he immediately began to unveil his salvation plan. And he said, I will have mercy. The context was salvation. So in the glory of God, you see the mercy of God. You see that? That's his priority. He is glorified in his salvation plan. That's his biggest obsession, his biggest priority. So, all right. So now, Moses is in the cleft of, of the rock, and God is passing. Exodus 34. When God was passing, what did he proclaim? The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, salvation. So here is what you need to realize. The Bible is a book on salvation. <laughs> as simple as that is, from the beginning to the end, you see the priority of God in salvation. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Check it well. Are you aware that as salvation was being provided, a lot of things were wrong in the nation called Israel? They were being colonized. The Roman Empire was treating the Israelites anyhow. And they tried to get Jesus involved in politics and he was not interested. The only way and the only times Jesus or God was interested in the politics of Israel was where it was hindering his salvation plan. The reason he stood up to Pharaoh, apart from Pharaoh's harshness, is because of his salvation plan. They have to go to a land that I will put them in so that the Messiah will come. It wasn't political. It was salvific. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm teaching you a very powerful principle. Lest you continue to struggle. So yeah, ah, Hannah, I'm looking for a child, Hannah. Every year I'm praying. But the day you say, if you give me a child, he will save you. Now you're smart. Because your plan has to align. Uh, are you getting what I'm saying? So when you understand you, God is God-centered, committed to his own plan, you become relevant when your plan is aligned with his. That's what made Israel powerful, not their faith. Their alignment, it's one of the most powerful principles. Just being where you ought to be in the plan of God. So if you are Rahab and you find out God is about to do something and you help, it will change your life. If you are David and you discover this is God's plan for Israel and you help, you are a part of it, it will change your life. So as faithful as God is, it's not as if you are there praying about your own plan and then God now comes. 
Even though God is compassionate, his major priority is his plan. Are you getting what I'm saying? If you want to see miracles perpetually align with the purpose of God, that's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm going to round off. <laughs> if we need to continue tomorrow, we'll continue. Have you learned anything? Yes. Well, I hope you have. So I want to just round off by teaching you with the example of Jesus. Jesus, of the many names he was called, the way, the truth, the life, the word of God, there is a name that he has that is not common and is very powerful. The name is Amen. His name is what? So, in two instances, at least two instances in the Bible, he's called Amen. Huh. And this is the biggest principle. So, I mean, just think about it. Everything about Jesus' life was ordained. Everything was prophetic. It was prophesied where he will be born, how he will be dedicated, who will be there at the dedication, how he will grow up, that he will ride on a donkey, that he will be betrayed, you know, that lots will be cast for his clothing, everything in precise accuracy. He said in the volumes of the books it is written, I come to do your will, O God. How can you live such a life and not be a success? There are just some people here. Eh? <laughs> it looks like everything is organized, everything is planned. If you try to come against them, the whole of the forces of, a of God will come against you. You'll be wondering. Ah -ah. Abimelech was surprised. I asked him, oh, is this your wife or your sister? He said, sister. Now, you carry that innocently to your room, and then you have a dream. In the dream, God says you are dead. You are dead already. <laughs> Why is it that there are some people, you can't touch them and get away with it? Why? Why is it that God is so jealous about some people? It is not about them. It is about his plan. So when God comes to Mary, Mary is not praying. Ah, are you listening? God comes to Mary, says, this is my plan. Will you agree? And you say, be it unto me according to your word. See, the prophecy will carry you. So now, the problem is, many of you, you are already set in your ways. Where you want to grow up, the children you want to have, you know. So now you are trying to get God to bless what you are doing instead of learning to do what God is blessing. If you begin to do what God is blessing, see, this is the powerful force of prophecy. You just, you are like, you are like, you are like someone who is surfing. You look for the waves and you just glide. Story of my life. Story of my life. Story of my life. I'm in my calling. That's why it's easy. If you like, copy our logo. Copy our sound. Copy, it won't work. You have to find your own templates. And you find it in the place of consecration. 
Just like in Acts 13, you are just ministering to the Lord and fasting. You are not praying for anything. You are just like, God, make a name for yourself with my life. And then he says, separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas did not have any ambition. He wasn't saying, I've been in this church. They've not allowed me to lead prayer. Mm -mm. He was just doing his own faithfully. And then the purpose of God found him and drew him out. When it is a selfless ambition that is powering you, you cannot be stopped though. You cannot be stopped. You cannot be stopped. So now imagine, I was on my own, happy in Lagos, and God said, leave this church, go to Abuja, plant a new church. I was crying. I was crying. But I knew it was God. It wasn't ambition for expansion that pushed me. <laughs> It was a firm instruction. The way it happened was dramatic. God had already told me, by the time the ministry is five, you will go to Abuja. But by the time the ministry was five, there was a lot of expansion in the Lagos church. I was happy. Then two weeks after our fifth anniversary, a strange man of God just sent me a message. I was like, who gave you my number? He said, I need to see you. And then when he sat in front of me, he dropped a lapel pin. On the lapel pin was inscribed the number five. He said, God asked me to buy it and give you. I was asking God why. He said, when I give you, you will understand. Are you hearing this? The moment I saw it, I knew. I remembered the word of the Lord. It's time to move. I started crying. Someone had given me a house to live in for five years without paying rent. I had been there only two months. <laughs> I had been there only. I was flexing. I bought dining table, did wallpaper. God did not talk. Because I should have known. He told me five. I got carried away. Then we go to Abuja. We start the church. The work explodes. And then maybe someone else sees it and goes to plant his own church. Uh -huh. You are desiring with covetousness what someone got with consecration. It won't work. Are you listening to me? So the most powerful place to be in is the place where Mary was. Be it unto me according to your word. You know, God, all these my plans, they are silly. I'm sorry. I repent. I throw them away. Oh yeah, make a name for yourself with my life. What do you want to do? I want to align. I want to align. I want to align. I want to be relevant in your plan. I want to be where you are. I want to serve. Ah, God is God-centered. It's about your plan. And he's permitted to be. He's the center of all things. He has to be God-centered for things to hold. Are you with me? So leave all your small plans. And I, I want to bet you. As grandiose as your plans are, they are insignificant. If you see the beauty and the splendor of God's plan for your life. See, avoid absolutes in your life. I cannot do this. I can never do this. I, eh? If you see me, eh? by the grace of God, I'm very smart, very intelligent, but I'm living autopilot life. If you ask me, where do you see yourself in the five, next five years? Where God will have me? Where God will have me? Feel free to plan, but there is no plan that is rock solid in my life. Oh. 
if you see me, if God says, drop this mic, go to Kenya, I just need time to pack my bag. I'm gone. Those who know me know. Those who know me know I'm gone. And so what you need to understand about the Abuja church is that even if there were just 20 people, I wouldn't have considered myself a failure. What was important for me was being in the will of God. Are you getting what I'm saying? Uh So when you understand that, two things will happen. It will eradicate competition in the body of Christ. The fact that I have a large church does not mean I am more successful than someone who doesn't have such a large church. Listen, God has blessed us specially to usher, usher in a new move of God in my generation. That's my assignment, if you don't know. It's by grace. To usher in a new move of God. Let's tell the truth. Even concerning the miraculous, do you think it is is always directly proportional proportional to how you pray? Go and check people. When you hear stories of people that God called when they were eight, which prayer and fasting were they doing? (laughs) William Branham was going to the forest, just playing in the woods. He saw an angel, and the angel said, from today, you will see things about people, you will know their entire life history, and if they believe you are a man of God, they will be healed. Eight years old. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Prayer will never provide for you what is outside your purpose. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Faith will never provide for you. Those things are meant to help you press into what is yours. So the most important thing is still your assignments. What did I call the title of this sermon? Walking in the glory of God. If you want to walk in the glory of God, be selfless. Know that it is really about the glory of God, not about your plan. All right? Really about the glory of God and not your plan. There must be a selflessness. Selflessness. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away. Lord, have. Make that your cry. Sing, Lord. Give you my soul. I live for you. Every step that I take. Every moment I'm away. Have your way in me. Listen, we have just a few minutes. Make it count. I give you. I give you. I live for you. Hey, every moment I'm away. Have your way in me. 
I'm talking about a level of consecration where God can tell you, leave your kindred. Leave your comfort zone. Go to a place that I will show you. He says, listen, it is in that kind of instruction where he says, I will make your name great. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. It won't happen in your own plan. There has to be a consecration to it. And thank God for the times that God gives you a detailed plan. But sometimes he will say, just go. <laughs> just go. I will lead you as you go. Let me tell you something. Some of you, the plan of God is somewhere in your heart. It is fear. What will men say? See, until God delivers you from that rubbish, you won't grow. What will men say? What will people say? Until you are so consecrated to the plan of God, you no longer care what people say. You are living for His name and His glory alone. Not for the gram. Not even for your family. I will go where you would have me go. It is in the leading of God that you see the glory of God. I'm telling you. You know, after God had shown David a lot of favor, Second Samuel, you know, he just said, I'm going to build God a house. <laughs> and God sends the prophets to him. He said, have you forgotten where you were when I called you? You were a small boy watching over sheep. I brought you from watching over sheep to make you ruler of my people. He said, God now told him, I will build you a house. <laughs> you want to build me a house? God said, I will build you a house. David immediately realigned himself and said, who am I? Who, are, who is my family? I know that it is because of your people that you have blessed me so much. So now I say, do as you have said. Listen, this is the powerful way to pray. Not your plan. You have gotten God's prophecy about your life and you say, I align. Do as you have said. Make a name for yourself with my life. That's the most powerful. See, those are the types of prayers that get answered. Let me tell you something. You must have read seven principles of answered prayer. But even Jesus, if he prays, let this cup pass over me, it will not be answered. <laughs> prayer only works in the will of God. You have idolized principles too much. It is time to understand God's placement where God will have you. That's the most important thing. Let me tell you this. If you learn what I'm teaching you, it will change your life. Right now as you are listening to me, if you strip yourself off the pressure to impress people, to prove a point to anybody and say, you know what, God, start with me. What do you want me to do? Your life will change. So now, I want to give you a few minutes from the depth of your heart. You will pray a prayer and say, God, make a name for yourself with my life. Take all the glory. I'm not even looking for the reputation. Whatever your plan is, whether it is it's, it's in the limelight or not, as long as it's your plan, I'm okay. Whether people are clapping or not, I'm okay. Jesus lived 33 years. He built no house. He had no car. Yet, he was a success. 
Success is being in the will of God, doing what God will have you do, whether men consider it great or not. He said, Lo, I come to do your will, O God. He's called the Amen. He says, All the promises of God are in Him. Yea, and Amen. He wrote to the church and said, These things say the Amen of God. He's called the Amen of God. What if that becomes your name? That the totality of your life becomes so be it. Anything that God will have me do, so be it. Anywhere that God will have me go, so be it. Let my name become Amen. I want to be so sold out to the plan of God that Amen becomes my name. Not my plan, but His. Begin to pray that right now. And say, Lord, in any way I've strayed from your plan, in your mercy, realign me. In any way I have followed my ambition. Some of you, there is a call on your life you have not, you have not answered because of daily bread. You have to repent right now and say, Lord, I'm ready. Make a name for yourself with my life. I am ready to go the route of Abraham. I don't know the way, but you said you are going to lead me. So I'm going. I'm taking a step of faith after this conference. I will start that business. I will start that ministry. I will do it. I will train for it. I will build capacity for it. Stop looking for provision outside of the purpose of God. You will not find it there. I align myself. I align myself. When you are in the purpose of God, your security becomes the priority of heaven. Even when the boat capsizes, an angel will appear to you and say, don't worry, no heart will come to you because I have much people in that city. Much people. Your security has become the priority of heaven. You've been praying, God bless me. The real question is why? Of what use will be the blessing? But when through you all the families of the earth will be blessed, your blessing is relevant to the plan of God. Then you have it. Make a name for yourself with my life. I repent of every selfish plan, every competitive spirit, copying what people are doing. Just for the fear of missing out, I repent. Now I will follow your plan selflessly and wholeheartedly. Oh, thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Listen, unfortunately, time is fast spent. Some of you will need to continue this in your room. Don't forget how I started. If this hunger should rise in your heart, you will attract the supernatural. There is a way. See, when you are consecrated like this, you must have angelic encounters. You must. You can't open your spirit to God like this and God will not talk to you. It's not possible. When you say, see, don't you understand? God is looking and saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? The reason he's looking is because most men are selfish, committed to their own plan. God is looking for people. The moment you say, God, I strip myself of selfish agenda. Use me for your glory. That's where the visions will start. 
I'm telling you, it will look like the supernatural encounters in your life will hit another level. It will hit another level. This is the most important thing. Alignment. Are you with me? This is, this is one thing you can say you got from this camp meeting. Go back and say, God, your plan. Your plan. Your templates. Your templates. It's one of the biggest blessings of your life to know what you will do with your life. God has given me the path to follow. Nothing will change it. If, even if all my family members are blessed doing something else, I won't change. Are you listening to me? Make this your prayer tonight. Some of you, you have things to settle. You and God. You and God. God, I followed TV. I followed other ministries. Followed other people. Give me your templates. You will go. All those agendas... When I'm so-and-so age, this is what, where I will be. What are, you will tear it. <laughs> and say, God, show me your plan. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. Let this word be honored in the life of your people. You said you are raising in us a people for your glory. Let this message of consecration birth an army after your glory. An army that cannot be stopped. An army that will not be turned back by the pressures of this world. An army that will not be turned back by even terrorism. It says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And the word of their testimony. testimony. It says they love not their life unto death. Father, a template worth dying for. Your own plan, not ours. By any medium you choose, reveal it to your people. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Come on, say loud, amen. amen. Come on, give Jesus a praise right now. Give Jesus a praise right now. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.